It's Wednesday night, and uh, we're in a series that you might call The Adventures of Simon Peter. Peter is a very unusual character throughout the Bible. I've said this many times. Peter was just a simple, common, everyday fisherman with very little education, just the education of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a very educated man. Paul had a life where he was murdering Christians for a living before he came to truth, before God struck him down. And if you'll notice, God struck Paul down on the Damascus Road, and he didn't say, Paul, would you like to accept me as your personal Savior? He struck him down and gave him a new heart and caused him immediately to want to go and serve him. Peter didn't have that. He didn't have that bad record behind him where he was killing anybody. He just killed his fish, that's all, as he caught them. And uh, he was weak. We are more like Peter than anybody else in the Bible, most of us. There's very few Pauls in history or anywhere because he was going to go until they killed him, and they finally did at the end of his life. I want us to look at Peter's conversion. Go over here to John, the first chapter. Now, you're going to find all through the Bible, all through the New Testament, you're going to find the conversion of the apostles. Not one of them was invited into the kingdom. God would come and say things like he said to, uh, like he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, I knew you, you were mine, and I ordained you a prophet to the nation. That is predestination. Look over here in John, the first chapter. This is where uh, John the Baptist is coming, and he's washing in water. And I want us to, we don't believe in water baptism here. We believe in a blood baptism. That's another entire story. Let's go here to uh, John 1, and let's look here in, uh, after John has been baptizing, let's look here in verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, Jesus was the Passover lamb without blemish. At the Passover, there was a lamb offered without blemish, and that's what Jesus was. Jesus was crucified. Now, you talk about the sovereignty of God. He was crucified on Nisan 14 by some evil by some evil men that called themselves Pharisees. Nisan 14, that was that was the Passover, the day of the Passover. Now, how in the world did these Pharisees know to take Jesus when they took him? How did they know? that he was going to be the Passover lamb. They didn't know nothing about that. God arranged that he would be taken that night before Nisan 14 and that he would be killed as the Passover lamb. Now, let's read on about Peter here. John, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. The, the, two, the two disciples. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, 
and said unto them, What are you looking for? What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, Master, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where are you living? Where do you dwell? Do you have a house? And he saith unto him, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. I'll give you a little something interesting here. He was in Bethabara. A-R-B-A-R-A. Bethabara, let me show you where it is. If this is Israel, here's the Mediterranean Sea, and this is Israel right here, and then you have the the Dead Sea down here in the south of Israel. North of Israel, you've got the Sea of Galilee up here. See, the Dead Sea was actually a little longer, and you had the Jordan River coming down to it. Now, and then you had northern Israel and southern Judah, southern Judah, and Bethabara was over here, east of the Jordan River, over in this area somewhere over here. Well, whenever you hear the Pharisees, they'll say, Jesus, they'll read this, and they'll say, uh, Jesus said, come and see where I dwell. And they say, and the Charismatics will say, Jesus took him to her house. He had a real nice house there. And I don't know where they get that out of this. He had a nice house. It was big enough to sleep 12 apostles and himself. And I don't know if you have you heard any of them say that. Outrageous. First of all, he didn't own no property in Bethabara. If you know anything about the Jewish law, and you study in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, it was against the law for them to own any property that wasn't in the land where they were born. It, you have to learn the whole picture. You remember when, uh, when Jesus, when Joseph was running away from King Herod in the second chapter of, uh, I don't know what got me into this, but in that second chapter of Matthew, Matthew 2, and Herod was wanting to kill uh, this newborn babe that had been born in a manger. Well, they fled over here to, this has everything to do with where Jesus was right there when he said, come and see where I'm sleeping. Probably took him to a tree or a cave. And Kenneth Copeland would say he had a big house out there that sleep 12 apostles and himself. Outrageous, stupid. And here's Egypt over here. Here's the Sinai Peninsula here. You have to connect all the parts of Scripture. He couldn't have owned a house on this side of the Jordan River. Remember the Lord told Israel, marry inside your tribes. And if the man dies, it'll go to the daughters until she dies. And it'll go back to her original tribe. The land is mine, God said. And you can't. You can't sell it. He said, I own it. He says that in the 21st chapter of Numbers. He said, I own the land. So, and there was uh, some girls, some women that inherited their land. And when they, God would say, marry out, marry within your tribe. That way you'll stand the tribe. The land will stand the tribe. Remember, every 50 years was their year of Jubilee. And the land had to go back to the original owners. Do you remember that? Well, what could Jesus do owning a house over here in 
in Perea or Bethabara over here. He couldn't have. And the proof of that is when when Joseph brought his wife back to Israel after the threat of Herod was gone, he moved her up here into northern Israel to Nazareth in the land of Lebanon. He moved her up there and and they stayed up there until the birth of Jesus when she was pregnant. They, they stayed there. They migrated up there. And then when it came time for them to pay their taxes and the and the the king of Egypt or the Pharaoh the, the Pharaoh, the Caesar of Egypt levied taxes, the law was that they had to go back to their original land to pay their taxes. So they had to come they had to leave Nazareth, come back down here and pay their taxes here because that's where they were their taxes were due. Wherever their original land was. You were not allowed to buy land outside of Israel. And Bethabara would have been outside of Israel. What would Jesus be doing owning a house in Bethabara? I'm just saying that to let you know what they do with this. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Peter's not the first person that mentions Christ. It was Andrew. It was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He was a fellow fisherman. And he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We found the Messiah. What does he mean, we found the Messiah? Were they looking for him? Absolutely, they knew the 69th week of Daniel's 70 week was up at this point, and they said, we found him. He's here. But he didn't say he asked us to accept Christ, and he didn't give us an invitation into the kingdom. We just found him. We recognized him. We knew it was him according to the scriptures. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, uh, well, let me back up to verse 41. He that he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith in him, We found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. It was interpreted into the Greek. Now, these people will, if you look close at the scriptures, they'll say, Mashiach, Hamash, Hamashiach. They won't say Jesus Christ. They'll say, we are believing the uh, Old Testament Hebrew in pronouncing Jesus' name, Mashiach. But being interpreted, it is the Christ. They were speaking Greek, and they'll try to come up and say, uh, why don't we call Jesus Joshua? That was his name. No, his name was Jesus. Jesus is the English interpretation. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, if you notice, there's no invitation him here. Nobody's saying, would you like to believe in me? These are people he picked out, and they're going to believe just like he picked you out, and you believed. Thou art Simon, son of Jonah. Son of Jonah, the way it's written in that damn time, bar Jonah. Bar Jonah, bar means son of. In the Old Testament, the equivalent of Bar is Ben. And Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria. And you would call him son of Hadad. That word Ben in Bar means son of. 
but you could only be called a something you could only be called a son if you had inherited your father's office or his business or his kingship or whatever you had to inherit that this also will show you that the fallen angels in Genesis the 6th chapter cannot be cannot be uh demons they're not and they can't be come down to earth to intermarry with women fallen angels were cast into the earth by by uh, Michael in the 12th chapter of of uh, the revelation if you'll notice you can read something simply if you know something about Israel, their history, their culture, their customs, you can see what the things are talking about. Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, how could he have been the son of Jonah? Is that saying that Peter's father's name was Jonah? No. He was son of Jonah because he inherited Jonah's office. Jonah, he was here in Joppa on the coast of Israel, and he and the Lord called him and said, I want you to go over here to Nineveh, and preached to Nineveh. Nineveh was uh, was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and they were located here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. The Black Sea's right above up here, and the Caspian Sea's here. And above that is what we call today Russia. And and uh, the Lord told told. Uh, Jonah, go over there and preach to Nineveh, this capital city. It would be the same thing to us as Baghdad. The reason Nineveh was so evil was because they were barbarian butchers. And the reason Jonah got angry at God when God didn't kill them all, he probably had seen them slaughter people that was in his own family. And at the very best, people that he knew, and he knew that the Syrians were they, I've said it before. They invented all these American Indian uh, slaughtering techniques and torturing techniques, like scalping, and and they were my ancestors. They were Caucasians. They were they sat right there between the Caucasus Mountains, right up here. That's what was called the Caucasian Mountains between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and their headquarters was Nineveh. The reason Jonah was told to go to Nineveh is because these people were some of the greatest heathens that had ever lived and have ever lived even up to this day, and they were Caucasians. Caucasians sometimes get angry at people of other color because they think they're better. Well, they've never been better. Well, there is no one flesh better than another flesh. It's ridiculous. So he got angry, and he didn't want to go up there so he got on a ship, got out of here in the Mediterranean Sea, and after a few days, the boat began to begin to heave in the storm, and the man said, "Something is wrong. Somebody on the ship has got God's got something against them." And Jonah said, "I am the man. Throw me overboard." And they did. And the Bible says a great fish in one place swallowed him. Some say a whale swallowed him. Do I believe a whale swallowed him? Yeah. And he stayed in the whale's belly three days and three nights. That is the gospel, isn't it? 
That's the gospel, the resurrection. He was resurrected after three days. And that's the gospel. That's the resurrection. And that's what Jonah went after. He was resurrected. He went to Nineveh and preached, repent. And if you don't repent here very shortly, you're going to be overthrown. And they repented temporarily. And Jonah got mad. Got mad at God, went and sat down under a gourd vine, and it grew up and shaded over him. God struck the gourd vine with a worm and said, you're going to talk back to me. I'm not going to put up with that. So how was it that Peter was the son of Jonah? He preached the resurrection to the Jewish people from every nation under heaven. In Acts 2, in Acts 10, he preached the resurrection to the Gentiles, the first man to do that, to the house of Cornelius. So, we get all that out of here, even we don't even hardly get started. Now, let's continue reading. These two were Andrew and Simon Peter. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We, me and this other apostle, this other disciple up to this point, have found the Messiah, which is interpreted called the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And Peter, Petros, means a little stone. You remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem? And the Pharisees, and they were, everybody was shouting, Hosanna, which is God save the king, King Jesus. And the Pharisees said, tell them not to say that. And Jesus said to them, if I forbid them to say it, the stones will cry out. He's probably talking about the apostles will cry out because they are stones, they're little stones. And over there in First Peter, Peter says we are, lively stones in the second chapter built up and spiritual house well when jesus says there in the 16th chapter of of uh, matthew 18th chapter matthew he says whom do men say that i am he said jesus said peter said some say you're elijah and some say you're Moses, and some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. He said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, my father, which is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? What reveals Jesus to us is the Father in heaven. He uses the Holy Spirit to reveal it. We don't need invitation hymns, and we don't need to be asked if we can accept Christ. We don't need to pray a sinner's prayer. God is going to cause his church to believe him, and that's the method of salvation. And Peter's believing. How can you tell that? He says, Thou art the Christ. Belief is the method of salvation, not an emotional revival in some Baptist church or Pentecostal church where everybody's jumping up and down, running down the aisle. That's no proof of anything. Then he says, the day following, oh, I got to say one other thing. 
When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, Thou art Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church. That word rock is Petra. Petra means a mountain of stone. Now the Roman Catholics say the church was built on Peter because the Bible says, Thou art Petros, and upon this Petra I will build my church. Petros means a little stone. And when Jesus said, Upon this mountain of stone, Petra, I will build my church, speaking of himself and speaking of the words that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you notice, none of the apostles were asked to believe in Jesus. None of the prophets were asked if they'd like to accept him. None of them. Jesus would go and say, this one's mine, you're elect. Now, go and preach. Isaiah, go preach to Israel. And I'm going to give them eyes they can't see and ears that they can't hear. Lest they should be converted and I should heal them. I don't want them. Now go preach, Isaiah. But Lord, how long shall I preach? He said, till I empty the land. Boy, what a calling. How would you like to have that kind of a calling? Don't think I want that, do you? You'll preach, and then at the end of your ministry, they're going to stuff you in a log and cut you in two. Now, farewell. Good luck. No, there ain't no luck to that. Isaiah had to go do it, and Jeremiah said, Lord, you did you deceived me. You didn't tell me it was going to be this hard, and all these people are going to be trying to kill me. I quit, God, but I can't quit. It's a burning in my heart. That's what Jeremiah said. As soon as he said, I quit, he said, but I can't. Well, you know how many times I wanted to quit? <laughs> Sometimes I just get real, real weary with quote Christians unquote they'll come and they'll give me a fit and start fighting me and call me names and say I did things that I didn't do and I just I say Lord come soon battle my enemies in every prayer I pray I pray Lord you fight my enemies I can't and you can't when you when you're in the leadership position saying the things that we're saying people are going to get angry at you now now let's continue reading here the day following jesus would go forth into galilee when it says galilee galilee was a section of the country up here it wasn't just the sea of galilee it was up northern israel he went into galilee and findeth philip Philip is the one who met the Ethiopian eunuch in the 8th chapter of Acts. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, what does hinder me to be baptized? And, and Philip didn't command him to be baptized in water. He said, you are permitted if you believe with all your heart. I'm not going to go into that. That has another whole story. The day following, Jesus went into Galilee. And he found Philip and said unto him, follow me. A-K-O-U, A-K-O, L-O-U-T-H-E-O, be in the 
same way, and the way is narrow with. He tells Philip the same thing he told Matthew over in Matthew, the ninth chapter. He says, Matthew, akulatheo me. You be in the same narrow way, and you're... Matthew was... He's also called... You won't get it out of one chapter where that he's called, but you'll get it in another chapter when Matthew is called. Uh, in Luke, the fifth chapter, here's the way Luke puts the account. It says, Jesus saw a man sitting at the seat of custom and said, Levi, follow me. Matthew's name was Levi, and he was Matthew Levi. I don't know which one was first, but that's who he was. And Matthew was sitting at the seat of custom. He was a publican. And he got up and walked away from one of the best jobs in Israel. Now, publican is the word. I'm on, You forgot it on my paper, D. <laughs> it's the word telenase. Telenase comes from tell, means to complete. It means to complete the transaction. Same thing when you go to the grocery store. What's the last thing they do with your ticket? Huh? What's the last thing they do? They put a tax on it. That's the last thing that to add to your ticket. That's what the publican got. The publican was a Jew, was a Hebrew. He was a Jew, and he was a go-between between Israel and Rome. A Roman, a Roman, Roman would come in, and through the underground or through various ways, they'd find out who was not real popular among the Jews, and they would appoint them to be a publican. The publicans were allowed to put any amount of taxes on there they wanted to put on. And when they did that, the people would hate them when they would tax them too high. Publicans, you remember the Bible would say, the Pharisees would say, he eats with publicans and sinners. Publican was, was a curse word to the Jews. And the publicans were the only people there in Israel other than the Pharisees that made a real good living. Israel was a poverty-stricken land. And the publicans were representatives. They were Jewish representatives of the Roman Empire. You had to have taxes or the Romans couldn't fix their roads or do anything else and come in there. And, of course, they were overbearing as it was. And they would tell the publican, we want this amount of money. You can put what you want on top, and they will have to pay it, or they can die, or we'll put them in jail. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a little short man, and he saw Jesus in the distance, and he wanted to see him. And he came, Jesus came to the tree where he was, and they had that little song we used to sing in the booster band. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Well, he did climb up a sycamore tree, but he climbed up because he wanted to see the Messiah. 
And when Jesus came to the tree, he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus said, if I have taken anything from any man, I'll restore him fourfold if I've been dishonest in it. That was Zacchaeus' conversion. He was a publican. He was a chief publican making lots of money. When you walked away from that, you were walking away from a good living where everybody in your neighborhood hated your guts. <laughs> How would you? It's like my neighborhood, you know. I come out of the house, there's that Jim Brown out there, the guy that believes in predestination and Christmas is pagan. Well, okay. Now, let's read on here. I'm just introducing you to the uh, conversion of Peter and some of the apostles. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip. And he said, Akulatheo, you get in the same narrow way with me. It's narrow. It's filled with tribulation. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him. Nathanael is also another name for Nathanael is Bartholomew. You can write that down if you can spell it. B-R-T-H, Bartholomew, A-M-E-W, I believe. We have found him of whom Moses in the law. Aha! Now, Philip is telling how they found out they were looking for the Messiah. When they said, we found him, that's called the Messiah. They didn't accidentally bump into him. He said, I'm the Messiah. They were looking for him because of the law. They knew the law, and they said, this is the time. The 69th week of Daniel is finished, and we're looking for him. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And boy, you talk about a skeptical man. Nathaniel was it. Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding? The Messiah couldn't come from there. Nazareth, oh man, I can't go into the story. I went into it last week. Nazareth, northern Israel was considered the filth of the land, and Nazareth was the septic tank of northern Israel. When you say, Jesus the Nazarene, boy, you couldn't say that to a Pharisee. They'd say, what are you, you putting something clean on Nazareth? It's filth. That's what they felt about it. And that's why Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Jesus compliments him on that statement. <laughs> that's amazing. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, Behold an Israelite, this, this Bartholomew, this, this man here, Behold an Israelite, indeed in whom is no guile, he'll tell you exactly what he's thinking. And he did that day. Makes you think. Gosh, these guys had personalities, didn't they? Because there's, there's Nathaniel saying, Nothing good is in Nazareth. Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, 
when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you and knew you. And boy, he goes, whoa. You knew me? You saw me before I even met you? Yes. You're one of my apostles. And you're a special person to me. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. He recognized him. Notice all these guys recognize him. We recognize Christ when the Holy Spirit comes to our hearts and shows us. Thou art the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believe us, is this why you're believing? Thou shalt, thou shalt see greater things than these, more than just, you're going to watch me walk on water and defile the elements. And he saith unto him, Nathaniel says, or Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, now that's kind of a conversion of some of these guys. I want us to go back to, I want us to look at this word follow, akulatheo. It's very important because it's talking about we've gone through this on Sunday morning to be in the same way with and straight is the gate and now is the way that leads to life and few are going to find this narrow way and the word narrow is the word talibo T-H-L-I-B-O and it's the word tribulation and he's telling all these apostles you have to follow me now, the word way, hodos, they called, you have to look at that either spiritual or literal because the highways were called a hodos. When Jesus said, be in the same way with me, he didn't mean walk down Main Street with me. He mean get in the narrow way. Wherever I go, you go. You watch me. You sit there and you listen to me. Because I'm going to perform some miracles that's going to give you strength. You know, the apostles are a picture of God's sovereignty. He didn't ask any of them if they wanted to come. He'd just say, you're one, come here. You're one, come here. You're one, come here. That's predestination if it ever was. Now, look here in, in Matthew 9 and verse 9. Matthew 9. I'm just going to give you some of these places where he's telling these guys to follow. I've told you, you've got to look at more than one verse when there's something being said. You've you got to look at more than one chapter. The best thing to do when you're studying, if you're in Matthew, look in your margin. If you've got a, if you've got a uh, Thompson Chain Bible... And it'll tell you in the margin the other times where this particular event is happening. And it, and it, it, it may only be in another one of the Gospels. Sometimes it'll be in all four of the Gospels. Sometimes it'll be in three of them. It's good to see this. I'll show you in a minute what I'm talking about, why it's good to see it. Why it's good to look at the other, at the others. Look here in Matthew 9. And this will show you Matthew, Matthew's, Matthew's conversion. 
Now, let me say something before I go any further. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John and Matthew were apostles. Mark was an apostle, and Luke was an apostle. But Luke traveled with Paul. Luke was a Gentile. And the Bible says he was a physician. He was a doctor. The best kind of doctors they had. He was a doctor. Mark was the guy that traveled with Paul on his first missionary journey. They got up to, they got up here to, uh, I need to spend more time on these kind of guys so you'll understand what they're about. Uh, Mark went with Paul on his first missionary journey in that 13th chapter of Acts. And they took off and went up here to what we would call Syria. That was, uh, there was an Antioch here. There's an Antioch over here. Why did they have two Antiochs? Same reason they had a Columbus, Ohio, and a Columbus, Georgia, and a Columbus. Because what was Columbus, Georgia, and Columbus, Ohio, and Columbus, all the Columbus, what were they named for? Were they named for Christopher Columbus? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't named for George Washington. They were named for Columbus. Antiochus. A-N-T-I-O-C-H-U-S. Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the kings of Syria. And that's why they'd have an, an Antiochus. Antiochus. We, we'd call it Antioch, Antiochia. They had one here. And Paul left, he left it, Jerusalem, came up here to Antioch, went over to Cyprus, and then that's where he had a run-in with this guy. He called him the child of the devil. His name was, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, he said, thou child of the devil. Uh, and then he went up here to Pergamos, right here. And when he hit the coast here, John Mark, this Mark right here, left Paul and come back home. He said, I've had enough. He hadn't even got to the major uh, uh, persecutions that Paul was going to get over in Antioch. He certainly didn't get over here to Lystra where he's going to be stoned and left for dead. Didn't get to that. But he came back home. Then that ends, that journey ends in the 14th chapter of Acts. Then in the 15th chapter, they go back to the council in Jerusalem and have some arguments about some Judaizers and let's go back and circumcise all these Gentiles up here. And, and uh, Paul says no and Peter says no. And then at the end of chapter 15, Barnabas comes to Paul. Barnabas was, on, Barnabas was on that first journey with him, along with John Mark. Barnabas comes to him and says, okay, we're ready to go on our next journey here in chapter 16, except he didn't say chapter 16. He said, well, we're ready to go on our next journey. And Paul said, yeah, we're ready to go. He said, well, I'll go get John Mark. And Paul said, whoa, he's not going with me anywhere. 
And him and Barnabas, they had contention. It was sharp between them. You know what I believe Paul was showing us and the Bible showing us in that? Just how undeveloped Paul was because he was new at this. He got furious with John with Barnabas, said, I'm not taking him anywhere with me. <laughs> Later on he's going to write the book of Mark. Isn't that funny? Paul got mad enough at this guy. He was just a kid when he went with Paul on that first journey though. He said, he's not going with me. And so Barnabas split from Paul. And Paul took Silas and he met Timothy up here on his second journey. He met him up here at Lystra and became a companion of Timothy. But he took Titus with him on that journey. And Barnabas took off. And Paul goes through all the rest of his life. He's in prison up here in Rome. And when he writes, he writes the prison epistles, Philippians, 1 and 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, boy, it's very touching. He says, Timothy, when you come, bring John Mark with you. He's profitable for the faith now. He's grown up. He's middle-aged. I And Paul had a different attitude also. He wasn't ready to get angry. He was in a prison waiting to be beheaded, waiting to be executed. So John Mark, that's the story of the man that wrote the book of Mark. He's not a lot in the scriptures, but evidently, and it's believed that he wrote the book of Mark before anybody else wrote Matthew Luke and John. That's what most of the scholars believe. Now, where am I? Look here in Matthew 9 and verse 9. We need to know about the history of these guys, don't we? Matthew 9 and verse 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom as a as a publican making a real good living and Jesus says follow me and without even thinking this shows you how God had to have convicted his heart because he wasn't poor he said follow be in the same way with me and he arose and followed Jesus just gave everything up boom right just off just immediately now Look at Matthew 16. We're going to just introduce you to some of these guys. Matthew 16. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, that's really interesting, but how are you going to really know the word daily is not in there? If you can find the word daily anywhere in the scriptures, that's going anywhere in a scripture where Jesus says this daily. That's going to set a precedent. 
A precedent is when you find something mentioned one time in a given situation, and that means every time it happens, it will be the same. So wherever there is a cross, it will be. Wherever we bear a cross, it will be daily. You have the precedent set in Luke 9.23. Look at that real quick. Here's the precedent. You, it's like when you're in a courtroom and the judge is hearing the evidence against the accused and you've got a defensive lawyer. If he can find something in one of the law books where there has been a case tried and the man has gotten off due to some circumstance, if he can find that circumstance in this trial, it sets a precedent and they have to... Let the man off. Well, here's a precedent for us. It's about dying. Everywhere you've got deny self, if we find it daily in one place, in Luke 9, 23, and we've quoted this a thousand times, if any man come after me, and the word if is not in the text. It just says any man after me. It's not if you do this or if you do that it's not there if any man will come after me let him deny op or nail my a p a r n e o m a i most of the time when you find the word deny all you have is our nail my even when the bible says in First John uh, two twenty two, when it says, "He that denieth Christ is antichrist," it just says, "Our Naomi." All you have to do is deny him, and you're antichrist. It not you're not the antichrist. You're just if we have if we have denied Christ, deny means to contradict. Our Naomi contradict. If we've contradicted Christ, we have been antichrist when we do that. And you contradict Christ by the way you live. Some men profess they know God. Homologeo, profess. Same word as confess. Means to be of the same word or agree with Christ. But he said, if a man profess that they know God, in works they deny him. And they're, every good work they're reprobate. They don't want to do the things of God. So... Aporneomai means to constantly to deny Christ or constantly deny self. That's what aporneomai means. And then he says, if any man will come after you, let him deny himself constantly, continually. The reason you have to continually deny self is because you're on the narrow way. Every now and then, every one of us from the start, we have a tendency every day to turn back to self, don't we? And repent is something God causes you to do. It's not something you do. It's something he does in you. So you turn, and he says, you get back around here, and he puts you through some trials and makes you turn. When you repent, you have to repent daily because you die daily. If you stop and think repent, if that means to be turned and think differently... To be turned, repent, means God has to turn you 
and daily cross, God has to call you to be willing to say things that make men want to crucify you. It's not fun having men wanting to kill you and destroy your your work, your ministry, anything else. It's not fun. But I've learned I don't argue with anybody that wants to try to destroy me. I pray in every prayer, Lord, fight my battles. I can't. I don't fight anybody anymore. But I've got a protector that will fight for me. That's the Lord. You're not taking me on when you're taking this ministry on. You're taking on God. This ministry's been going for nearly 30 years. And if it's going to stop, God will stop it. You won't. Now, where was I? Uh, Any man after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross that he'll be condemned to daily. So wherever else you find a cross, it's daily. That's the precedent. The precedent is set daily. So whenever you, and you got a cross to bear all through, all through uh, the, I just take my concordance and make a copy of where the word cross is. Then I go through and mark all the ones that are about us taking the cross. And I know it's daily. And what did Paul say about that in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter? He said, I die daily. I repent daily. I'm on a daily cross. They're all the same thing. Deny self, daily cross, repent. They all have the same meaning. You're turning away from self. So he says, And you have to follow me. Now, everywhere the Lord told Philip, he told Matthew, follow me. That word follow, akolotheo, each time you find it, when Jesus is addressing a man, it's an imperative mood. When When he tells Matthew, follow me, an imperative mood, from the mouth of Jesus is a command and if he's God and he is and he commands it you're going to follow you're going to take your cross every day you may not do it now but the time will come when you will do it in your life and he'll deal with you to do it and you will follow and each one of these apostles he didn't ask them if they'd like to believe it did he he said you're mine and he looked and said Dave you're mine and you got to die daily and take a cross, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to take you a long time to learn it. And you'll still have the outer man that's fighting against it, won't we? We got to look at this whole picture. Uh, John said you got an inner man and the outer man. The inner man is Christ. The outer man is self. And John is the same one that said, if you're born of God, you don't commit sin. His seed remains in you. You cannot sin. But there's an outer man that can't stop sinning, he said in First John 1 and 8. Now, all right, I'm just kind of taking you through this. Let me show you something that you need to learn to do with your Bible. Look over here. In, this is something I said. This is why it's important to read all... Uh, of these different, to read all of these different versions of what's happening in each one of the Gospels. Look here in in Mark 14. Mark 14. 
This is why you need, I'm going to show you through a couple of verses, why you need to check in each one of the Gospels. How do I do that? I told you earlier, it will have, if you got you a Thompson chain, and in a lot of other study Bibles, when something happens in here, if Jesus is walking on water, you look out at the at the margin, it'll tell you the other places in the Gospels where he's walking on water. You need to read all of them because one of them won't, won't suffice. Let me show you why. Okay. Now, here in Mark 14, and this will reveal something else to you. Mark 14. Now, this is the very end of Jesus' life. The Judas is going to come up to Jesus, he told the Pharisees, the one that I kiss, he will be the one. So he comes up to Jesus to kiss him on the cheek. And uh, and Jesus makes him feel condemned. Now, look here in verse 43. This is the last discourse of Christ where he's talking to his apostles this would be equal to John 13 where he's having the last supper or the actually the last Passover and it would be equivalent to uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, uh, Luke 22, and John 13. It would be equivalent to all of those. Verse 43, chapter 14 of Mark. And immediately while he yet spake cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves. He's bringing with him the these Roman soldiers with him. And they're going to take him before Pilate. And they're doing it because of the accusation of the Pharisees. With swords and staves from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders, and he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whoever I shall kiss, that the same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kiss Jesus on the cheek. And they laid hands on Jesus and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? Now this is the night before he was crucified on the 14th of Nisan the next day. It's actually the same day since their days begin at 6 and they ended at 6. Here it is somewhere that night after 6 o'clock. He'll be crucified somewhere around 12 o'clock of what we would call the next day, but it's still the same day because their day didn't begin in the morning when the sun come up. They didn't even begin at midnight like ours does. Our a.m. comes on at 12 midnight. Theirs begin at 6 o'clock in the evening, or they, they begin at sundown. 
The reason being, the Jews took this because Genesis, the first chapter, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Evening begins their day. And I was, then he says, and I was with you in this temple teaching, and you took me not. Why didn't you take me in the temple? But the scriptures must be fulfilled. You had to take me on this day so I would fulfill the Passover lamb. That's predestination, sovereignty of God. And they all forsook Jesus and fled. Now, you want to blame Peter for standing by the fire and warming his hands? Because later on in this chapter, in all the chapters at the end of the Gospels, he's warming his hands when somebody, when a woman comes up and says, you're one of them. He says, blankety blank, I am not. Well, let me ask you this. Where are the other apostles? They're hiding over there in the dark somewhere. They're not even willing to be seen out there in public. Peter was trying to build some confidence. The other apostles took off, didn't they? Who knows where they were, hiding in their houses, hiding in a, in a, in a cave or in some trees or something, in a shrubs or but they weren't there. You want to blame Peter for denying Christ three times? They weren't even there to even deny him. They were too frightened to be identified in public. Peter was special to God somehow. Let me just kind of stop here a minute. Let me show you something in Mark, the 16th chapter. This is interesting to me. Why does Peter get so much attention? He may have been the unauthorized leader of the apostles and the willing to step forward and say things for anybody else. Because look what God saw fit to do. When Jesus rose from the dead in the 16th chapter of Mark, notice what the Bible says. There's a young man clothed in white. This has to be an angel. There in verse 5, entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garment, and they were afraid. They were frightened. And this young man says to these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, this young man says, Be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Well, when they go back and tell the apostles, they don't believe him. They don't believe the women because their vote don't count. Then verse 7. Notice something real interesting here. And this young angel says, But go your way. I don't know if he's young. He may have been old. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. Have you noticed that Peter is stipulated there above the disciples? I just thought that is really interesting. Peter must have been their self-appointed leader. He was always gutsy, willing to speak out, even when he got his foot in his mouth. Peter had the cleanest foot in town, the cleanest leg in town. He kept his foot into his mouth all the way up to the knee all the time that he goeth before you in Galilee there shall you see him as he said unto you now go back over here where we were where were we Mark Mark 16 
uh, I've got to show you something here. I've given you Mark fourteen forty-seven, haven't I? Mark fourteen forty-seven. Well, let's read on down here in fifty-three. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. With him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off. And Peter followed him afar off. And Peter followed him afar off while the rest of the apostles were hiding. Boy, that says something in itself. He followed afar off, but he did follow, didn't he? That's more than you can say for any of the other apostles. They were scared to death of these Roman soldiers. I would have been too. Even in the palace of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warned, warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death, and they found none, and so they hired some false witnesses. Two witnesses, which is what it took. Now, let me show you concerning this. We showed you here. We showed you here about the man's ear being cut off, didn't we? Who did that? Doesn't say, does it? Not here. Don't say here. Does the Bible say somewhere? Yeah, it does. Who did this deed? Well, let's look at a couple more of these. Look here in Matthew twenty-six fifty-one. Matthew 26. Matthew twenty six fifty one. I thought I was going to get through more of Peter tonight than I'm getting. All right, Matthew twenty six fifty one. And behold, one of them, one of them, one of the people that was there were with Jesus, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off the ear. And Jesus said, put again your sword into your place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Didn't Jesus say, sell all you have and go buy a sword? He said that. He didn't mean buy a literal sword. Buy the word of God. What he's talking about. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? He'll give me 120,000, at least, angels if I need to be delivered. I am here for a purpose. Now look over here. We don't see there where, who cut off is there, do we? Don't see it there. You don't even know the man's name there, do you? That got his ear cut off. Well, look over here in in Luke twenty two fifty. Luke twenty two. See, I'm showing you why you need to look at everybody's account of something that's going on in the Gospels, and it'll be in the margin of a book that has it's a study Bible of some kind. All right, Luke twenty two. 
And one of them smote the servant of the high priest. That's all you get out of it here. One of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far? And he touched his ear and healed him. I don't know if he just picked it up and stuck it on the side of his head and it worked fine. And healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and elders which came to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now, let's go look in John, see what John says. I think John's going to tell us who wielded the sword and whose ear they cut off. Look over here in John 18. John 18. All right. Verse 9. Look at verse 8. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. Then that the saying might be fulfilled, all of this was written in the scripture, which he spake of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Here's the guy that's so impetuous and so always ready to jump down somebody's throat and smote the high servant's ear and cut off his right ear. He can tell you which ear it was here. And the servant's name was Malchus. That's whose ear he cut off. That's a good thing to question somebody out there in public, okay? So who was it cut off the man's ear and what was the man's name? Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He's calling death on the cross and the scourge a cup. This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. I, I want you to be able to see these things. If you look in one if you're looking in these other chapters, you're not going to see this. Peter's the one, quick-tempered, ready to jump at somebody, and then he was scared when it came time to stand up for Christ when he was taken by the Roman soldiers and they stand before Pilate. Now, let me see here. Peter seemed to want to be one of God's favorites somehow he was always out in front well he'll show you what he was like when he uh, over here in Matthew 14 how bold he was you don't hear any of the other apostles doing the things that Peter did look here in Matthew 14 you've got so many incidents in the gospels I think it's harder to learn the gospels than it is most of the books of the Old Testament, more than it is the book of Revelation, because you got these guys doing things all through every one of the Gospels, and they're, sometimes it'll be repeated in Matthew and Mark, but it won't repeat it in Luke, and sometimes it'll be in, it'll be in Mark and John, it won't be in, in Luke and Matthew. Now look here in Matthew 14, 
you got to learn to synthesize the Bible. Put it all together. Matthew 14. And look here in verse 24. 14. Excuse me, 22. And straightway or immediately Jesus constrained his disciples. Constrained is the word anakazo, A-N-A-G-K-A-Z-O. A-N-A-G-K-A-Z-O. It means to, we get the word ankle from that. Ankle means where your foot bends. It means to constrain or force. Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. This is right after he feeds the 5,000. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. They did not want to do this. They were terrified. It was the middle of the night. They were terrified of the Mediterranean Sea. The people, you got to remember, the apostles are kids. They were not old men like you see in pictures. Jesus is walking along at 30 years old, and here's these old men around him. And John's one of them, and John's going to, here it is, it's 33 A.D., and John's going to write the book of Revelation in 96 A.D., and he is already 60 years old. No, no, they were kids. They were young men, probably 20, 21 in that neighborhood. Now here in 22, you got that same word. That's the same word that's used. It means to necessitate or compel. It's the same word in the 14th chapter of Luke where that an invitation goes out to all the people that were friends of a bridegroom and they're having a wedding reception and they all begin to make excuses. One says, I've married a wife and I can't come. I bought a, a piece of ground. I've got to mow the grass you know, on it and i got to bale the hay. And they begin to make excuses. And Jesus said, now go out to the naked, the blind, and the needy, and compel them to come in. He said, that's who I came to. And that word compel is this word, ananke. It comes from the word ankle, a bending. Bend their arms. Tell them they belong to me. Constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him, and to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, it's late at night. It's the third watch of the night. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, when Jesus compelled them to get in a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of the Galilee. They're going, there's demons out there. There's demons in the Mediterranean. They said this was the great sea, and they called the whales 
demons. They said, there's monsters out there. And they said, over here, close to Rome, that there was a gate into hell over there. That's why Jonah used that that term of thinking. He said, out of the belly of hell cried I. Because that's what the... That's what the superstitious believed. They believed there was a gate into hell. And he was down at the bottom. He saw it was down at the bottom of the mountains. The highest mountains in the world are in the seas. Now, let me see what he says here. And the ship was in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves. And the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, they're out there with the it's dark, it's pitch dark. The first watch was from 6 to 9. That was the evening watch. And then the next watch was 9 to 12. And that was the midnight watch. Midnight. And then you had 12 to 3 in the morning. And that was the cock crow watch. Watch. So when Jesus tells Peter, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me three times. Cock crow didn't mean a rooster crowing. Roosters don't crow at 12 midnight. They had a, you remember we talked about trumpets were voices? They had a trumpet out in the public and they would walk into the streets and at each watch they would sound the trumpet and at the cock crow watch, they would make it sound like a rooster. Da da da. Twelve o'clock. All is well. Something like they would say in early Great Britain. Twelve o'clock. All is well. Uh, midnight watch ends. Cock crow watch begins, and then again it would sound three hours later. That's why I never could understand as a kid how could Peter hear a rooster crow and then crow a little while later and him not be concerned about it in the middle of the night. That's because a cock crow watch was not a rooster crowing. And it was in the middle of this. The next watch was from three to six. And it's dark out there and they're out there in a boat with the storm raging. When he compelled them, he had to compel them to go. They didn't want to go. There's no way one of them would go out there in the middle of any sea at night. They were on the, the Sea of Galilee, but that was stormy out there. It was a pretty nice-sized sea. Watch what happens. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. You know what he was telling him walking on the water? I'm the God of the Old Testament. Watch what I do. Look at Job real quick. At Job 9. And they were familiar with all this. Job 9. When he walked on the water and defied buoyancy. Buoyancy is what makes you float or sink. When he defied that point of physics and says, I don't need a balloon or any raft I can defy the the gravity of the water look here in Job Job 9 Job Psalms Job 9 
Job is describing God here. Job answered his, the one that was taunting him, Bildad. He's answering Bildad. Supposed to be his friend. He's condemning Job for all these bad things happening to him. Then Job answered and said, I know that it is so of a truth, but shall, how should God be just? How should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, man cannot answer God one of a thousand questions. He is wise in heart, mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. How can you harden yourself against God and come out of it? You can't. God removeth mountains. That's not talking about physical mountains. It's talking about capital cities. And they know not. How could they know not? How could mountains know not? Because mountains are not dirt, piles of dirt. They're capital cities of empires. Babylon was a destroying mountain. She was called a proud mountain. And God says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. Babylon, you found it on self. Let us make us a name. And which overturneth, God overturns the mountains in anger. Now, what's he doing turning Pike's Peak upside down in anger? It's not talking about Pike's Peak or Mount Everest, is it? It's talking about evil men that are ruling the world. Which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth its sun, and it arises not, and sealeth up the stars, this is God, which alone spreadeth out the heaven and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. He walks on the water. And they knew what Jesus was doing when he did that. Let's go back over there to Matthew, the 16th, or the 14th chapter. Now, this is where he's walking on water. But if you want to see all about where he's walking on water, if you got a if you've got a, uh, a Thompson chain, it says right here, in the margin, Christ walks on the sea, Mark six forty eight, and John six nineteen. I'll show you right on it. So, if you want to look at those chapters, it's going to show you. And if you'll notice, if you'll notice, Christ walking on water. You got it in Mark and in John, but you don't have it in Luke. That's why you need these, need to be able to look these things up in the margin. And you, you're going to find out, like we showed you a while ago, Peter cut the guy's ear off and his name was Malchus. You think you need to know these things? If you study a New Testament, especially the Gospels, study Every time something is said, I've said before, you, if you look in, if you're studying the man of the Gadarenes, he doesn't look quite crazy in Luke 8. But if you look at Mark 5, the guy looks like a crazy, wacky person. He's running through the tombs and screaming and cutting himself. Something's wrong with that guy. If all you read is Luke 8, you're not going to see the picture of him unless you look at Mark 5. Unless you look at Matthew 8. That's the places where the man of the gatherings is, and he doesn't always have possessed with devils. But if it says at one place, 
that means this is the same man he was possessed with devils it means that you're going to have that in every one of those places even though one place will say he was messed up in his head or however it puts it but possessed with devils down it's of my means to be insane and then when the people come out and find him sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind so for nail mind he's sane so what happens to the man it's between insane and sane that's everything that's going on with the man of the Gadarenes so it has to be self and when he asks Jesus don't drive my demons away those are my ancestors and I might want to talk with them and get some advice from them and Jesus says, watch what happens when I put this desire for self, that driving you crazy and you run around cutting yourself and screaming over here in, in the book of Mark. Watch what happens when I put that desire for self in animals. They'll kill themselves. People say Jesus wouldn't defy the laws of nature. Well, did he defy buoyancy when he walked on water? Did he defy death when he raise Lazarus from the dead we're talking about God we're not talking about the God of these preachers out here we're talking about a sovereign God that does everything the way he wants to now and when the disciples now here's shows you how weak these apostles were verse 26 when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it's a spirit they didn't recognize it was Jesus. The common word spirit is pneuma. Nearly every time you find it in the Bible. It's not this word. Why these guys that translated the Bible didn't translate this something else. They should have translated it's a demon. Because that's what the apostles said. It is a phantasm. It's a, a phantasm was a daemonion. It's, it was actually what they were saying, it's a demon. That was one of their many. Why were the apostles saying that? They were still caught up with their society, wasn't they? They were, they were in a world of their own social structure. They Nearly everybody out there, the first century, everybody was casting spells on somebody it was like it was like in uh, salem massachusetts 400 years ago with people running around casting demons out of people and it's that's where we got all this false doctrine that's going on in the churches today there's no such thing as demons and jesus said i'm not a demon it's me i'm god i walk on the waves of the water And straightway Jesus spake unto them and said, be of, be of good cheer, it's only me, don't be afraid. I'm not some demon, I'm not a whale that you think is a demon. And Peter answered and said, Lord, here's Peter stepping forward, front and center, one more time. He, I believe Peter really believed Jesus, but he was very weak. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. That's all he said. And when Peter 
was come down out of the ship. He walked on water to go to Jesus. But he let all of the things around him pull his view of Jesus into the background. It's kind of like saying, bid me to come to you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're looking around, and you got these bills, and you got this problem, and you're fighting with your wife, and you got all this storm of life around you. You say, I, 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 I can't make, and you start sinking. That was all that was wrong with Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus and quit believing that he was in charge of everything. He was in charge of the sea. And Peter said, and Jesus said, come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked on the water. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to seek and he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O ye of holy gospistus, O ye of puny faith. Pity your faith is going to have to increase. And as it increases, you're going to be able to raise the dead because you will raise Dorcas from the dead one day. This is a very picture of us when we get in the middle of the storm and people will say, well, when God, could, when he cast the devils out, he wouldn't break the laws of nature. Yes, he would. He had taken, put in those swine what was in him. And what was in him, what was in that man was self. Because he was insane. We talked about insane Sunday. When you can't think rational, and America can't think rational, you can tell a preacher predestination is true and Christmas is pagan. Well, that's your opinion. We try to use Christmas to celebrate the birthday of Christ. Imbeciles. Not only would Jesus break the laws of nature, he would take self out of a man and put it in some swine. That man had wanted to keep those swine around him because they thought all demons were their ancestors and they could cavort with their ancestors and talk to them and get advice from them. That man thought those swine would just, well, put this desire that I got in me and them. He wasn't expecting them to kill themselves. He expected them to hang around the, the cemetery so he could talk to them and get advice from them. And I have to go into familiar spirits because that's what they were. They were familiar spirits. The word is bottle. And they would talk to their family spirits, their demons, in a bottle. And that's where genies come from. And that's where vampires had to be driven in a bottle in the ancient world to get rid of them. Just have you noticed how all this ties together? Somebody will say over there in, do I have any time, Mike? They don't say that, but. I, gosh, I'm not even hardly getting started on Peter. There's so much to this man. Uh, over here in Luke 8, this man, I've had people say, God wouldn't go against the laws of nature. He did every day. In fact, in Luke 8, I'm not going to go through this. I don't even have time. But in Luke 8, you see, here's a man 
in Luke 8. And when Jesus walks up to him and casts out self, it's not demons, it's self, and they go into the swine, they run down the hill and kill themselves. And I've had people say, well, God wouldn't break the laws of nature. He just got through breaking the laws of nature earlier in the chapter. When he, when verse 22, Nat came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said to them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a strong, a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke and saying, Master, we perish. Carest thou not that we perish? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water and said, Shh. And it stopped. Now there he broke the laws of nature there. He broke them twice in this chapter. He took self and took the... It reminds me of when I had a band years ago. I was in my late 20s. And we had an old dog named Susie. And I didn't know these things about demons back then. I hadn't studied it thoroughly. I was 27, something like that. And we were rehearsing... And I was a nervous wreck back then because I couldn't accomplish in life what I wanted to as a singer. And I told my band one day, I looked at my old dog Susie. She's about 15, 16 years old. I said, if Susie had in her what I've got in me, she would kill herself. I said those very words. And that's what Jesus is showing us. What we get involved in, we're involved in self. That's completely unnatural to animals. Totally unnatural. Our dogs don't start crying and whining when we leave the house. They just go in there and go to sleep. They don't say, walk the floor saying, I wonder if Jim and Mary are going to come back. I wonder if we're ever going to eat again. No, they just trust us. If we can trust the way our dogs will trust us. We can't just trust God not to abandon us, can we? I've got so many things on Peter, I just barely. And everywhere you've got a cross, it has to be daily. And everywhere you find someone cutting the ear off of a servant, that's Peter and that's Malchus. That's why it's good to read all the chapters in a Bible that have to do with the subject. I hope you can understand that. You won't find Malchus's name anywhere but over in John. And you won't find it as Peter wielding the sword but anywhere but in John. Do I have any time, Mike? All right. I was going to show you where Peter was denying Christ. And if you read each one of them, you'll find them in Matthew 26, 30. Matthew 26, I'll just give them out to you. 26, 30. There's so much to be said about Peter. He seemed to be one of Jesus' favorites. Maybe just favored him a little. I don't know. Must have favored Paul. That doesn't mean he favors anybody any less. If God would have said about me what Paul said about Epaphroditus, I'd be very content. Paul said, I have no one like-minded like he is to care for your state. 
Paul gave him one of the highest recommendations that could be given. That's, I would like to have that written down in a book about me for people to read for 2,000 years so it can be said, Jim Brown really cared for your state. No man, I don't know of any man like-minded that really cared for the sheep like him. I want him to say that about me. Now, you can go to Matthew 26, 26, 30. After they was through singing a hymn, it goes into Matthew 26. It's the night before Jesus. It's the night Jesus is taken, and they take him before Pilate the next morning. So everything that you read in 20, you start back in 24. And you read, if you'll notice, if you've got a red-letter Bible, here he is talking to the apostles, and all of these red letters are his last words to them. 23, 24, 25, 26 is the night before Jesus died. And then he dies in verse chapter 27. You've got to learn to look at the Bible the way he has it laid out. If you look, if you read, if you read John 13, all the way through John 21, this is his last discourse. All these chapters are the night that Jesus is taken. That's everything here. It's good to look at the Bible and arrange it in characters and and the conversations they're having and when his discourse is a is a speech that he's given to them in John fourteen John fourteen that's when he says uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. That was said to a wife right before a husband would leave to go back to his father's house. Jesus is going to be crucified the next day and go back to his father's house. He's going to come back like the bridegroom would come back a year later. Everything has a structural meaning in the Bible. You've got to learn to study it in Whatever, however you can study it to see some kind of systematized method, it'd be good for you. Everybody's got a different way of doing it. I set people off in what they're doing. I set all of the discourses off. I set off chapters. I set off uh, Matthew uh, 24, uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21. They're all, they're 22. They're all end times chapters, and they all say basically the same thing. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll come back next week and talk some more about Peter. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I pray you'll fight our battles for us, make us hunger for the truth, lead us to your elect family, and open up doors for this ministry. Lord, I pray for these commercials that we made for the TV. Lord, let us put it on there just the way you'd have it so we can reach a lot of folks with it. Thank you for your word and for your encouragement. 
We praise you for all things. Least your like family in Christ's name, Amen. Maybe you know a little bit more about Peter. He opened the door to Minneapolis pretty quickly. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he got them checks. Yeah, right here. Oh, great. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, I'll get that going tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, Brother Jim. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate we it. We went on TV in Minneapolis today. Dave called him. They just said, yeah. <laughs>